Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. In today's episode, I speak to Dean Taylor, CEO at IMD Group, the specialist digital transformation and training consultancy focused on delivering complex change in the secure and public sector environments. Dean's story is rather unique and one that I'm sure will resonate with a lot of you listening. Unlike many of my previous guests who have started their own consulting businesses in their late 20s or early 30s, Dean started his entrepreneurial journey later in life. Having already held senior roles in both government and consulting, he decided to strike out on his own and launch IMD Group, a business which he has grown into a team of over 140 in just six years. Since being introduced by our mutual friend Ben Chappell at Circle Performance, Dean and I have got to know each other really well, and it was great to have a chance to speak to him for the podcast and share his journey and his insights with you. We cover a lot in this one and go into detail on a whole host of topics, including Dean's journey with IMD and how he turned it from a failing training business into the 16 million consulting firm it is today. Dean's take on leading a business through lockdown and his advice for others on how to support your team through difficult times like these, and Dean's perspective on learning and development for both consulting leaders and military leavers to help you both give the best to your team as well as to get the best from them. 
I really enjoyed catching up with Dean for this interview. Pre-lockdown, we had planned to do this conversation at my kitchen table over a beer. And while sadly we had to have this conversation remotely, it didn't affect the great insights and stories that Dean was able to share. Whether you are running a consulting business or you are listening to this podcast as a military leaver looking to get into consulting, I know you are really going to enjoy this one. So with the intro over, all that's left to say is sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Dean Taylor. Dean, welcome to the show. Nick, great to see you. How are you? I'm very good. As we said sort of last week, it feels a bit strange given you live down the road from me that we're having to do this virtually, but... That is the uh, the times we live in, isn't it, Dean? So we are doing a virtual interview. I know we were planning to do this at my kitchen table, but safety first. I'm really pleased we can still do it. And given everything I know about you, I'm really keen to share that with my audience, but also really keen to dig into the things I don't. So thank you for for making the time for this. Uh, you're very welcome. Very welcome, Nick. And uh, I know the time will come when we can uh, have a beer and watch a bit of rugby and uh, and, and talk afterwards. But really, thank you for for, for speaking to me tonight. Not at all. Well, and, and yeah, one day soon, I, you know, I can see the, the Bath shirt behind you. I know we're both avid rugby fans. And yeah, it feels a real shame when you see the wreck on telly with, with no one in. You know, it feels a real waste. So hopefully not long, Dean. And yeah, we'll be back to it. We obviously know each other. But for those who don't, it'd be great if you could just share for my audience a bit of your background and, and really how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I think for me, uh, I'd probably like to start off with the, with the beginning and that's really down to, to to my parents, really. I look back and, you know, my dad was a, was very, very hardworking. He worked in a big factory. He was always the one that everybody went to to load their machines. And my mum was was very outgoing. And naturally, I met lots of her friends. And uh, at an early age, was was encouraged, really, to, to speak to adults, et cetera. So I think the, the early days for me were, were, were quite important. And then through through school, I you know, I'm really into sport and, and particularly team sport. Uh, and as you know, uh, I'll probably talk about later on that you know it's been a big factor in my my life and, and and continues to be. But let's talk about you know career. So early foundation, really good career. Well, I I must say I've been I've been very lucky and um, uh, yeah I've been very very lucky in my career, Nick. And, I, and I've I'll almost say I've enjoyed every every minute of it. So. Early days, I worked uh, for the government, particularly in uh, IT programs, helping them really, probably early digital transformation, really, you know, make an IT, make their working practices better. Love that, really enjoyed it. But I also realised that whilst I enjoy technology, I really love people. And that's really been the centre point of, of my career is I'm a people person, is is lots of people refer to me. So, yeah, I picked up the way government works, but I thought I need to explore this people side of me and, and how best to do it. So I was very lucky. I had a really good boss in the government and they gave me an internal job consulting within the department. And that was it. I thought this is for me. So civil service, fantastic career, but I needed to try public sector. So where to go? I had some friends that uh, worked in, in management consulting. What was that? I said, so, uh, you know, a few few beers with some friends. And, yeah, I ended up joining a, a company called uh, Admiral Management Services. Fantastic organisation. I really learned a lot of my trade there, you know, right from how consultancy works, how to bid for work, how to sell. I really did learn, you know, learn my, my trade. I worked with some really good senior consultants who taught me what I know now, you know, from the sort of face-to-face side, mentoring and coaching. 
So that was uh, that was great. But I looked at all the uh, flash cars in the car park and thought, these guys, you know, who are these guys with the lovely cars happen to be the sales staff and not the, not the consultants. So sales came into my head, but unfortunately the, the organisation Abra I was with now called CGI was quite large. And I just didn't really get the opportunity to, to try out sales. So I looked around and uh, found a small business called Vega Consulting. Uh, and in an interview, I was quite uh, to the point that, you know, whilst I enjoy consulting, I really like to try sales. So lo and behold, I, I joined in the, in, in the first six months I was uh, consulting, but then they, you know, realised I could sell more and I was selling more than the, than the sales guy. And, and they, they gave me the opportunity to move into sales. And the rest, that was the launch of my career, really, Nick. You know, I said to you before, for me, I'm very people-focused, very people-driven. So the chance to, to talk to people and get paid for it was, uh, was great. So I moved up through the management team at Vega Consulting. Um, really, again, really enjoyed it. Worked on some really interesting projects in, in, in government and outside European Space Agency, NHS. But then we got bought by a large company. And again, I, I think after my time with CGI, uh, I realised that I'm not really a fan of large companies. You know, everybody to their own. I like a small organisation where you can make a difference. Uh, everyone knows each other and you get that camaraderie. So again, an old contact of mine was on the board at BMT. And uh, interestingly, being a Bath only, and I've never worked in Bath, so I took a, took a, a job with BMT, which was fantastic. Great organisation as on the board as a, a BD director, really grew that business. We had a great team ethic there, I had a great managing director and uh, loved it. And then, yeah, I, uh, I decided to move on and uh, here I am now, uh, CEO of uh, a company that I started with an investor and uh, the rest is history. Fantastic, dude. Well, and just before I sort of dive into the backstory, because there's quite a few things in there that I certainly didn't know and I'd love to find out about, Again, just for anyone listening, you're quite a modest chap, so I, I'm keen to sort of shout about it. it. IMD, how big are you as an organisation now, just for anyone who's listening? Yeah, we started in late 2015, but we didn't really start the consulting business until 2016. So, yeah, we're going to hit uh, about 16 million turnover this year. We've got 140 people working on various projects, uh, some of those within government, a strategic partner, but all in, in, in technology. So quite a journey, really. It's a, It's been a startup. Um, so in sort of uh, four years, we've, uh, and you know, in now into our fifth year, we, we've grown quite fast, sustainably, uh, and quite fast. And I think one of the big things that, you know, uh, was the change for me was getting private equity backed in 2019. That's been a fundamental change. And plans forward, you know, yeah, I, I'd like to take the business to, about 30 million by 2023, perhaps look at some more investment uh, and take it on further. Wow. Well, I think, you know, amazing vision. And you know, that's a, a phenomenal growth rate in, in just that sort of short four or five year period. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about actually how you've done that, Dean, because again, I, I doubt it's been luck and probably a lot of hard work that, that's got into that. I was quite interested because it's something in your journey I didn't know about what you just said there around sort of the move from public sector into consulting, but then also into sales. And actually, I'd be keen to hear about both of those points. I think if I characterize, you've made some big jumps you know, from the public sector, which is very structured, very hierarchical, into consulting that's you know, very entrepreneurial and much more flexible. But then also you've gone from delivery to sales. And 
How did you approach each of those steps? Was it sort of more coincidental? You saw what was around you and you just, you moved to that next stage when it felt right for you? Was it something you had more of a sort of defined path about? I'm just keen for anyone who maybe is in, say, a public sector role right now thinking about what to do next. Sort of what were some of those things that led you to say, actually, you know, consulting is where I want to take that career next and not just stay, as you say, sort of doing that project management, that digital change within the government? I think I was quite lucky inherently I've always been managed to to, to sell and, and probably build relationships uh, let's talk about selling you know selling's got three elements the biggest one is relationship building that's a tick in the box the second one is understanding sort of process and, and sales and, and how that works and the third one is knowing your product I think the most difficult one to learn is relationship building so I think through sport and you know doing lots of things as a, as a youngster lots of activities I learned how to relationship build and probably motivate people and, and, and get along with people. And that's been fundamental in my in my career. So I think the uh, the time in the civil service, I, I learned the sort of technical element uh, and some process around how government functions, how to speak to senior leaders. So that sort of piece I, I, I undertook. So going across consulting, you know, I already had the, the technology expertise, the process expertise, and also... Uh, what you need for consulting is 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 the is ability to build relationships. So probably two things there, Nick. So all I really needed to learn to jump into sales was was to sell the product. And being a consultant, you understand the product you you're selling. So that's my journey, really. And, I, and I, it was a joke about the cars. It was just something I a few people said to me even when I was in the civil service. You know, you really need to be uh, you need to be selling. However, you know, selling comes with with risks. And if you're poor, you go. Uh, and that's the way that you know, selling is quite cutthroat, but it's very, very rewarding career. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, I feel very lucky and I'm paid to talk to people. And, um, you know, it, it's it's like a footballer who, who gets paid to play his favourite thing. I, I, I get paid to do my favourite thing. I love that, Dean. And I think, mate, you know, we've talked before, just you and I sort of privately, and I'd love to hear it from yourself again for the show, is around actually starting IMD Group. You, you mentioned there that it felt very natural having been at BMT. Yeah, you know, I've spoken to a lot of consulting entrepreneurs for the show who have started their businesses, frankly, at similar places to myself. You know, I launched my business a couple of years ago. It's just myself, my wife, we've got limited outgoings. If I don't make a lot of money for a year, that that's not a problem. And a lot of people I speak to have been in that similar boat. I think something that really struck me with your story is you, know, you had a very successful career at BMT. Like you said, you were on the board and you left at a point when you had you know, family, you had responsibilities, you had outgoings. And I'd, I'd love to hear in your own words that time of your life and almost what was it that made you think, right, I want to go out and launch my own thing. And particularly any of those questions you you know, you know may have asked yourself or spoken with your wife about to, to get yourself comfortable. I'd love to hear your advice based on your own story and how you came to the decision that it was right for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And, and you know, I, I did take risks. I, I was 47 time, you know, had a, a quite a large mortgage, you know, um, uh, two children. And equally, you know, I, I was in a, a very, very high paid job. So lots to think about. I think experience wise, I was very confident in, in my ability to sell. So that was one thing that I, that I had on my mind, probably the biggest thing really. And even though I, I really enjoyed my time at BMT, I was ready to move. 
a big company, as I said before, I like working at Vega and again at BMT. I worked with two small consultancies and, and, and grew them, was part of that, found that a real buzz and, and exciting. So I know my stuff, I knew my stuff. I, I had lots of contacts. And again, through helping people, you know, over the years, not because I wanted to return, just because it was the right thing to do. Those people were, were suddenly around me and, and wanting to help me. So, yeah, you know, I, I remortgaged my house. I took a, a considerable pay cut. I took a big risk and I went for it. And I think the key thing talking about, you know, conversations with people, particularly my wife, you know, I sat down with her first of all and said, look, I really want to do this. You know, I, I, I felt as though I was churning at BMT. I got the company to a great place. And where next? So I thought I need a challenge Nick, I really do. So you probably say, what a silly challenge. But so I sat down with my wife and said, look, I'd really like to do this. You know, what do you think? And she said, look, go for it. You know, you know your stuff. Worst comes to the worst. You're going to get another job in sales and you've had a go and just go for it. And that was key for me. I really wanted her backing. And I think your point to anybody else, you know, 47 or older, it's never too late. You know, you're very experienced then. Yes, I took a risk. And maybe that's the entrepreneurial piece in me. But again, if I look back at 47, I knew a lot, you know, so a lot I'd seen the mistakes that some entrepreneurs make that maybe start younger. And I'd seen those. I'd seen companies being bought and integrated. I'd seen a lot. So I think I, you know, it was a risk, but it was a balanced risk. Do I wish I'd done this when I was 27? The answer is yes, but only because I know what I know now. And I think the thing with me, Nick, I'm constantly learning and I'm learning now how, and I'm really uh, like to see people like yourself, uh, you know, and others, a younger generation coming through as entrepreneurs and, and just going for it. I know how hard it is to, to grow something. You know, when you're in a big company, you don't realise, you see all these small SMEs and people starting out, you don't realise how difficult it is. Mm. And it, it, it is tough. So I think your <coughs> your main point is, anyone out there listening that whether you're young or old get the opportunity just go for it there's always go back on what you did before i think some great advice dina i think to that point you know because i i know the work that goes into sort of launching a business as do many of the people i've had on the show and we've talked about a lot i'd love to just hold on sort of how you approach those early days you know did you have clarity on the business you want to build did you have a sort of business plan that you'd written down in detail and then you know it was executing it or was it you know you had an idea and you spent some time thinking about it before you went to market how did you approach sort of those early days to get the business off the ground because again you know if i'm trying to put myself in some of my listeners shoes i'm sure they're probably thinking oh well this sounds great but i've still got to put the kids to bed i've still got to you know take the kids to rugby and you obviously did all of that while creating the business. So I'd love to just hear those early days and how you got to the point where you could go out on your own and you know start achieving the growth you did. Yeah, and I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that there was a lack of small to medium consultancy businesses, particularly in a secure environment in, in, in government. Uh, most of the good ones have been, have been bought. So I knew there was a gap in the market. I knew the end goal where, where I wanted to do. I knew people that, I, that would come and join and would want to share in the in the growth and success. So it was really a case of of looking around for, for an investor that, you know, I was willing to invest, but you know, was, was happy to invest as well. And luckily I found one and he already spotted a, a very small learning and development business that taught accredited training really around, but 
lots of training that the a consultant would use, so change management, etc. So we got chatting, and uh, he showed me the you know the business. He said, you know, could you build a consultancy business around this? What do you think? I said, yeah. I said uh, that would be perfect. I can start with the L and D, and then grow around it. And that's what what we did. So we bought a, a very small and not very profitable. It was a training business at the time. And then really that was the start of the journey. I could see, so I built the business plan, the five-year business plan around that and how we would grow that, but also how we would take on consultancy. And you're probably speaking before, you know, know, I'm I'm a real big uh, believer in learning, you know, throughout both, not only accredited learning, but mentoring and coaching, reading, you know, podcasts, you know, learning, we need, we all learn, I learn every day, you know, we all need to learn. So starting off with, with L&D was a great thing for consulting and, and at IMD, that's one of our main differentiators really is that not only do we work with our clients and, and help them with their digital, secure digital transformation, cyber safe digital transformations, but we upskill and we 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 work with their staff to, to, to get our clients ready to take on those new changes. So, so yeah, I, I was lucky to meet, you know, to, to find an investor and then I said, remorse my house, uh, invested in the, the training business, and, and then off we uh, off we went. Yeah, I, I'm curious how you decided that's the right business. And I only ask, probably just putting my own thoughts on this, Dean, is part of me would always wonder, could I just go and start the same thing and do it better? But, you know, obviously it's paid off for you. So how did you see that this was the, the catalyst for you? You mentioned it wasn't a profitable business as such. That initially would make me think, well, why not just go and make a profitable business without any of that legacy? And what was that sort of diamond in the rough that you know you and your investors saw and thought, actually, you know, we could turn this into something? Yes, I guess it's a great question, and it was quite uh, there's quite a few golden nuggets in the in in, in the business. I think the first thing to say is that 95% of the business was 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 in one market, and that market was armed services resettlement. So when those that serve for the you know for the country come out of the army, navy, or air force. Uh, they get some money from the government to retrain, and it's their part of their transition to to civilian life. And the training business that that, that we purchased uh, had a great track record of doing that, but that was it. So first thing for me was, well, hang on, you know, the capability of the business is there, but there's no sales and marketing. And how about Bristol? It was based in Bristol, buzzing city, Hargreaves, Lansdowne, Computer Share, you name it. You know, what a city! But no business with uh, with uh, <laughs> with the city. So number one for me was, you know, I'm sales led. Can I sell the services that this training company is is offering? Uh, the answer was yes. Uh, can I sell more? Yes. Um, that was the first thing. It also needed taking. Marketing was pretty poor. You know, the website had cost four hundred pounds and looked as though it came from the from the seventies and. You know, the, the previous owner, you know, was, a, was, was, was again, was a really clever guy and his business partner. They were great. So the capability was fantastic. But he was heading towards the 70s and would, would admit he didn't know how to sell and take it further. So I think on the on the growing of the of the training business, the first thing is that it was tired and but it had good capability that I could sell uh, elsewhere in Bristol. And then the major thing that got me excited was that I had all these great service leaders Coming out of the uh, of, of of their service career with the relevant clearances, the skill set, the experience to go and work in consulting, you know what they needed was the training. So it was a, it was quite an easy an easy buy really. 
you know, I looked at it and thought, well, I can take these these great guys and girls, you know, teach them how to do, you know, project management, change management, but also how to work in in, in City Street and then get them into the business and then grow a consultancy business around it. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, that's been a it's been a great journey. And I've been lucky to lucky to see and, and look at lots of uh, armed service levers that have that have come through the organization. I think there's some really powerful points there, Dean, particularly for anyone you know, listening who's, who's thinking of something similar. I guess then you know, you, you mentioned, and, and I'd love to dive in a bit more to the the journey you've been on, because you've, you've had phenomenal growth. And, and with that, I'm sure has come a lot of learnings, a lot of things you might do differently if you were to do it again, or maybe you'll do differently onto the, you know, when you double the business over the next few years. But, you know, you mentioned there that you started as a a pure play training business and very quickly moved into consulting. You mentioned your investor. You also talked sort of before about the private equity side. You've you've had a lot go on in the last few years. And I'd I'd love to just get your reflections. You know, looking back, sort of what's been those key learnings for you from some of those pivotal moments building the business? Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably two main ones, really, Nick. And uh, and I'll talk about the the first one, which is quite close to my heart, really, which is mm. around talent development. I'm a firm believer in in growing talent within a business. And, you know, one of the things that really gets me out of, of bed in the morning and jumping around like Tigger is seeing people within the company grow and developing their careers. And I always say to people when they join us, I make a, uh, an effort to speak to everybody when they join, first join is, you know, what do you want to do while you're with us? Where, where do you want to go? And um, I always say to them, look, whether you're with us for 20 years, 20 months or 20 weeks or 20 days, I want you to learn while you're with us because that's what it's all about. It's, it's about treat, empowering people and helping people to develop and, and learn. So early on, you know, we set the consulting business up in 2016, after buying the, the learn development business in 2015. 2017, we took some grads on and what I would call second job graduates. And, you know, they left. Yeah, uh, we failed, basically, and I, and I failed. And the reason was, was that we just weren't ready. We're too immature as a business. And, you know, I let my enthusiasm for, you know, the culture, what I wanted in the business, probably go too far and I brought the, the 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 youngsters in too early, and we were so flat out delivering that the seniors in the business just, just didn't have time to mentor and coach. So big mistake, and one that you know I, I still feel very bad, you know, bad about. And uh, those people have gone off. We did train them up, but have gone off and done and done great things. And I'm still in contact, but you know, I, I wanted them to be with us as we grew into the bigger company I knew we'd become. So I learned that was one of my biggest mistakes, really. So really think through, you know, sometimes you let your passion for the future of the business maybe come in too early. Uh, subsequently, what we what we did, we then moved to a different hiring. We hired more senior consultants. But then lo and behold, you know, within a couple of years, we're back, particularly now, really got a, you know, a academy in place and a good structure in place to to train our junior consultants. And that will 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 increase. So. Yeah, um, I think just be a little bit careful. You're not too over enthusiastic in your beliefs, if that makes sense. Maybe that's the right word. And secondly, probably know your business partners, the the, the investor who who I luckily met, and, and really I wouldn't have started with without them. You know, a very very successful businessman in in his own right. But we're from different industries, and I think you know that made things more difficult along the journey. 
but we built a successful business and when we eventually got new investors in under the management buyout with private equity um, you know we spoke to 20 different private equity companies all interested so yeah you know that was probably the other thing really so so really understand who you're you know who, who you're starting off with and just make sure you've got same exit plans the same growth plans and you understand I, I was probably quite naive at the time you know very enthusiastic i know i could do it but i think in you know, retrospectively it's, it's worthwhile thinking about you know who you team with but as i said we've been a great success and, and you know without the original investment we wouldn't be where we are now if i'm honest you know, i want to dig into all of those things but i think one thing you know you mentioned around you know having that investment and that partner and, and i think partnerships fascinating in consulting because you know it can it can be the make or break of consulting firms i actually interestingly had um, joe omahani he's a professor in management consulting and he actually has done some research and the number one reason for both success and failure is picking the right partner the ones that work have gone stratospheric some that didn't have, have led to businesses failing and you mentioned around sort of your journey with your business partner and then the buyout but for anyone now listening you know with that hindsight Almost if someone came to you and said, well, Dean, what are some of those things I should be making sure of? I'm keen to go into business with someone. What are some of the things that almost you'd recommend they ask and find out to make sure it is going to be a fit for them and, and anything that they should be addressing early to make sure that you know things don't come back to bite them further down the line? Yeah, I think the key thing for me is that, as I mentioned earlier, is around exit. When do you want to exit? I think the next thing is shared vision. What is your, your, your vision for the business and do you really share that? Personally, I think it helps if you're both from similar industries or industries that link. I think that, you know, different industries, quite rightly, need a different type of person and are organised different. So, you know, a service company as opposed to a manufacturing company, you know, they, they, they are different different beasts. I think that's the main thing. And, you know, making sure that you, you both understand where you want to go, I think, mm. is, the, is the key thing. And, and, you know, with the first investor, uh, I knew that he wanted to, you know, exit, and uh, that worked out very well. Fantastic! That's some really good advice. You made the point that actually, when you were doing the management buyout, you you spoke to twenty you know, private equity firms, and you spoke to twenty and picked one. What is it that people should look for in that private equity partner? Is it the same as what you you know just highlighted about a business partner, or if it's different, what is it that you should be focusing on? Yeah, I think that it took us about a year, which is a long time to to find the right organisation, we, we spoke to a few. And we picked quite a small, uh, Chiltern Capital, uh, quite small then, but but fast growing. And for me, it was, they really believed in, by then I had a, another another business partner who, who invested. And, you know, they wanted to invest in, in in both of us. That was pretty, pretty clear. They they had backgrounds in L&D and in consulting. So, you know, really understood that. And they weren't like, you know, you get this myth, you get this myth, you know, you get this, everybody said to me, private equity and it's, it's a nightmare. They just weren't. They're sensible people. Their expectations weren't, weren't absolutely silly. And I could tell they were going to add value. And the journey, you know, it, it's been amazing. That, you know, they, they add massive value. And things that I, you know, I thought, well, why do I need to do that? I've needed to do it. They have been superb. And, um, yeah, you know, as a board, we, we function really well with them on the board. You know, I, I listen to their advice. They listen to my advice. Um, I've got a great chairman who who, we, who I knew before, but, um, you know, they supported me in, in, in bringing in. Yeah, it's been a real game changer. And for me, 
you pick the right private equity. So somebody that wants to come along you on the journey, you know, is willing to invest and you're aligned in your, in your views and they understand your industry. That That's what I look for. One thing I was keen to touch on, because I know we've spoken a little bit before and you mentioned there about you know, developing a strong culture is really you know, actually how you approach leadership. Because, it, you know, again, sort of there's lots of different philosophies and, and thoughts on this. But, you know, I know you've talked before about sort of the power of servant leadership and, and that's how you like to lead. I'd love for anyone who hasn't heard that term before, I'd love to just hear what that means to you and how then that actually manifests in the business and ultimately what results you see from it. Yeah, it's quite interesting, really, Nick. I've never really heard of servant leadership until about six months ago when I listened to a podcast from a client. But I listened to it and thought, that's me, that's, that's what we do. So, yeah, it's, it's quite new to me. And I've, I've, I've read some books on it as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's all about empowering your, you know, the, the, your colleagues and sort of uplifting them to give them the space, uh, give them the opportunity to really you know, grow and rather than, you know, commanding, it, it's sort of lots of empathy, you know, not brandishing your authority because you're the boss. It's really making sure that they come first. So all of the things I mentioned earlier around, you know, I'm interested in how people grow when they join us, you know, that that, that, that that's real. And I was doing all that before I read about servant leadership. Equally, you know, the two executives uh, on the board, they're exactly the same. Uh, my FD uh, and my COO. <coughs> so, it, w- and what it does, it, it sort of unlocks potential, unlocks creativity. So that's the sort of general overview of what it is. And 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 how do we implement it in, in, in IMD group? Everybody has a voice. So, you know, no one is belittled. So I don't want, you know, you do not want to stifle initiatives or, or innovation by, you know what it's like, you, you, you may have you know, been in a situation at school or at college or even at, at work where you want to say something, but you're terrified of saying it because somebody's going to jump down your throat or you're going to look a wally. No, I think in, in our business, it's very much speak, please speak. You know, no one is going to put anybody down. It never happened. If it did, you know, that's an, a complete no for me. So make it clear from juniors to everybody, please say you know, I want you to build your confidence. I want you to say what you feel. It's very important. So I think that sort of transparency and openness, you know, everybody's ideas are listened to. And if they're not right, we'll say we don't quite think that's right because of X, Y, Z. I'm also very keen on open business planning. So where, you know, where are we going to take the business in five years? This is where, where I think we need to take it. But what do you think? You know, junior consultant, what do you think? is this the right thing to do? You know, where is digital transformation going? What, what's next? So everybody gets a voice. The other thing for me as well is that as you grow in, in pitching to a CEO role, you know, you try and you do everything at the start when you're starting up, as you, as you well know, Nick. But then you soon realise that you don't know everything and you can't do things as well as others can. So bring people in, empower them, empower them to do them, you know, help them, motivate them give them that passion to, to grow in their careers and then trust them to, to get on with it. it. You know, so that's really what it's all about for me. And, you know, the direction is setting the business planning, but everybody in the business has been involved in that. They're bought into that. How do you go about that, Dean? Because you, you made the point quite rightly, you know, when you're a business of our size, I sit in the room with my team so I can role model that 
and we can talk about it as a team and that's everyone included. Obviously, when you're sort of, I think you said 160, you can be a role model in that they see you, but you can't sort of speak to everyone as the CEO. How have you put those structures in place to do exactly that, to get the buy-in and, and make sure that everyone feels that sort of approach that you want and you've described? Yeah, I think one of the one of the key things is what every a lot of businesses fail on is it's communication. So you know things like weekly we have a uh, a TFIF Friday meeting. It's uh, where we just go around thirty seconds. Everybody's available on the call. Good thing in the week, bad thing in the week, and what you did in the weekend. So I think that then shows the sort of humility that you know we're open. We have a little bit of humour, etc. So that's sort of a, a, a weekly. I'm really keen on a on a quarterly review meeting. It's, it's a really good thing that I picked up from my time at BMT, where you get you know you take everybody off fees, everybody, and it's a three line whip really. You know, please tell your clients you can. You know, client comes first, but we want you either at, uh, at a venue or in the office or at the moment, obviously on, uh, on on online, but really a little bit in the morning about the business. And so in that, we would talk about business planning and. You know what it means we would have workshops on are we doing the right things and then in the afternoon we usually have a bit of fun uh, we did some graffiti uh, with some artists in bristol we've done cooking you know we've had magicians we've done various things so there's always a, a you know a bit about the business in the morning workshops etc and then a bit of fun in the afternoon so we use that sort of event to um to, to get the overall message over during the business planning process the senior leadership team, you know, the, the level below, the execs are, are, are involved and have their say. And then a, whole, a run a low, they then, you know, speak to, to their sort of reportees and, and teams uh, and explain. And then I run a, a sort of couple of the, um, lunch and learn sessions where we, we go over what, what we're planning to do, uh, take feedback and, and add that in before we go to the board with to the non-execs and investors with, know what we're planning to do so it's down to um you know communication uh nick it it really is and um people because people feel engaged people Mm. you know want to share that success they want to be part of what you're planning to do so you know all of this has led to you know good camaraderie good team spirit we all work for each other productivity has increased but productivity has increased because of the happiness of, of you know, of, of, of the empowerment. I mean, to me, it just makes sense. Letting people grow and, and uh, you know, and we all got, got to go to work. You know, uh, letting people grow and enjoy what they, you know, their time whilst they're working. Yeah, that's that's the sort of way that, that, that we do it. And I'm very lucky I've got a, a brilliant um, group of, uh, you know, people that work alongside me that, that, that really help and they believe in, uh, servant leadership and they believe in um you know trying to get the best out of people by giving them the opportunity to grow i think we're very good at that and interestingly i had a you know just come out with a uh, staff engagement survey and, and, it, and it says that you know, pretty clear really so i think like you say you know that communication piece and when you boil it down it sounds simple but actually it's the sort of stuff that's simple to do, but also simple to forget, isn't it? Particularly right now when we're you know, we're all at home, we're all busy, and I I don't know about you, I, f- I feel the world has accelerated with COVID. I feel I'm in I'm in more meetings and Zoom calls now than ever, and I'm sure I think every client says the same. But at those times, it's very easy to let this slip, and like you say, just focusing on those details, those you know those quarterlies, and being open obviously has rewarded you and you know gives you that culture that the sort of staff surveys confirm, which is great to hear, Dean. 
on the COVID piece, really, I think the other thing we're really, really big on is is mental health, and we're pretty open in the in the in the business that you know that reach out particularly to those that uh, during COVID have been on their own. You know, lots of initiatives around one person a week you get you get team with to to catch up with, and again the sort of Friday meeting helps. We have you know quizzes and, and all those those sort of things, but they're keeping in contact. The guys and girls have come out with some great initiatives on the call on a Friday. You usually have to do a challenge that you come with. It's a, a picture of a famous painting made out of food or uh, there's just various things that are quite hilarious. I love that. uh, that's been really good fun. And, and then we've just been set a uh, around the world in six weeks um, initiative by a, by a triathlete in the business that wants us all to exercise more, record it on Strava and uh, go around the world in six weeks so that kicked off yesterday sorry enough today uh sorry and uh, we'll see how we get on so yeah <laughs> i love things like that it's, um i think those challenges just bring everyone together this sort of stuff works but i think you're spot on you know the the hardest thing right now and the the thing that isn't getting the press is that mental health and a lot of us, myself included, and it sounds like you as well, get a lot from being in the office, being with people. I don't think as a species we were designed to sit in our spare rooms or our, our studies or, you know, and, and you and I are the lucky ones. We have, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your study, you're looking at mine. For your junior team members and any juniors listening, you know, being in a shared house in London or Bristol, working on your, you know, your, I've heard people working on sort of ironing boards. That's not a long-term approach and you know, anything you can do to, to boost that sort of positivity and mental health, I think is critical at this time. It wasn't necessarily the segue I was planning on, but does kind of take us there just because I was keen to, as part of that leadership piece, you know, something you and I've talked a lot about before is, is sports. Obviously, you run a rugby team. You've you've tried your very best to get me to come down. I may still do when all this is over. I don't know, Dean, if my rugby days are over. So every time I played, it's sort of hurt more and more. I'm edging closer to 40 than 20. So I don't know if, uh, you know, there's a time limit on it. But, you know, I, I just love to get your take around sort of how those two elements come together for you. Because I know that you see a lot of, you know, you, you've you put a lot to your point about podcasts and, and reading. You've done a lot of learning on the sports side and sports management. And actually, what are some of those key things that you've taken from your time in sport, both playing and now, you know, managing a team and, and actually brought into business that you found really had that positive impact? Yeah, great question. And, and, and it's a passionate subject of, of mine. It's something I found very interesting. But first of all, Nick, what size boot are you? Because I'm sure I can. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and six foot four, however tall you are, you could definitely do well in the uh, in, in the rugby team. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll take that off there, Dean, because I'm sure, you know, over a drink, you, I'm sure you can try and persuade me. But, you know, there's, there's, there's many advantages on, uh, you know, uh, the obvious ones are physical and mental health. You know, uh, the basics of doing sport and I've always said to, to to my children, you know, I've always encouraged them to do sport because probably like you, Nick, and like me, wherever I've been in the country, I pop along to the rugby club and there are a pair of boots turn up for you. So, uh, you know, uh, whether it's hockey, whether it's tennis, if, if you play sport, you know, you, you, you've immediately got a network, which is which is fantastic. So I think, you know, what have I taken from, from, from sport, you know, participating and, and latterly coaching that in business, I think a lot of it is, is is around leadership. My way of coaching is is very much around positivity, enthusiasm. You know, getting people to 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 really feel positive about what they're about to do, and uh, and I think positivity. You know, the mental strength gets you through some games when you think you're going to lose. So I bring that into the business. You know, um, 
I'm lucky I'm quite enthusiastic as a, as a person anyway, but that passion, particularly when I'm speaking to other CEOs or doing podcasts like this or, or, or speaking to the team, you know, it, it's, it's enthusiasm. It, I'm just enthusiastic. You know, you, you have to be. So that's probably one thing is enthusiasm, drive, motivation. Other things, the ability to listen, you know, at half time when, you, when you're speaking to the, to the players or, you know, listening. And you haven't got very long to listen. So you have to listen, uh, no matter how much you want to talk. I think that that that's another thing that I brought into the business is listening skills, as everybody says, just like communication is, is key, but it is, you know, and you can miss things. I think clear direction, again, when you haven't got, you know, thinking on your feet, when you haven't got time, when, you, when you're playing rugby as captain or you're playing or you're coaching, it's, you know, decision-making's got to be pretty quick. And clear direction, you know, not muffled direction, clear at times, Particularly, you know, look at COVID, when we've had to give clear direction. Other things I've learned, I think, from sport, learning to take the loss. Mm. You know, we, we all get disappointed when, uh, you know, when, when we lose. It's taken that loss. And, and I think I've learned a lot of that from, from rugby and, you know, and, and do that into, into the business. You know, you may have worked so hard on a bid or a tender, you lose it. You're absolutely disappointed, but learn from it and learn to, to take it. I think determination I mean sports competitive okay maybe not at grassroots level where where I always played but it's still competitive and I think that's good to have in in the business but I think most of all for me it's it, it's that team spirit that one goal that camaraderie that whole thing about we're in this together uh, mm. uh, that's what's big for me and I think that's what comes down to the, the sort of link to servant leadership is that come on you know I might be the, the the CEO, but we're in this together, and I, and I need you, you know, to to help me get to to where we want to go. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. I think things that probably are good with with sport that you can take into business relationship building. Again, I said that's key to selling, key to consulting. That want to improve. And one thing, I, funny enough, I just really thought about um, over the last few weeks really is learning to adapt. You know, you plan all week for a great training session where, you know, you're going to teach the guys how to play off Owen Farrell and it's going to be great. And then seven turn up for training. So you expected 20, you got seven. So you're there. It's a cold Tuesday night in Bath. You know, it's about to snow. The guys don't really want to be there, but they are. It's getting them motivated. But, you know, turning it around and and, and, and then, doing something on, on the hoof really is, sorry guys, this is what, I was going to do this, but actually now we're doing this. And it's getting them motivated to, you know, that happens a lot. And I think it's the same in business, you know, you expect something, then you've got to adapt sometimes really quickly. And having the calmness and the thoughts and mindfulness of thinking a deep breath, right, think and go, I think is something else that sport, sports taught me. I think some some great points there, Dean. And you know, I agree with all of them. Having played what I'd call you know, grassroots rugby as well, I've I've been at those training sessions when you've got seven and expended twenty, or there's probably been a few where you've got three. You all look at each other and say, "Let's just go home, lads." But that adaptability point, I think, like you said, in business is, has obviously served you very well. And that camaraderie piece, I think, is so often forgotten. You know, you mentioned how you're doing that at, at IMD, and actually how you build that feeling of team, because I guess sort of implicit in your point is as team sport is on and off the field. The great thing, you know, we've talked about with rugby is you don't just play it to play the game, particularly at grassroots level. You know, no one goes just to play the game, but it's that off the field as well, you know, making friends. And I think what you're saying is, you know, that's the same at work. You've got to do your job. Everyone's got to work. But 
actually that should be more than just people you go and work with and you don't know about. You know, you want to know about their lives because they're, you know, they're part of yours. And that's what builds that, you know, that camaraderie, isn't it? Correct. And, you know, pre-COVID, in fact, during COVID, you know, we have a, a summer barbecue where everyone brings their families. We play rounders. We had the magician. We've done that every year. We always have a Christmas party. And throughout the year, we have various events. Um, so, yeah, and that's what, and, you know, we, before we moved off to Bristol, we were on King Street, near King Street. So we were straight out on a Friday. And, yeah, I like to, you know, let your hair down and, 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 and outside of work and, and build that relationship with everybody. It, it, it's, it, it's key. And a slight tangent, but I think equally important for any consultant, because I think, yeah, our career is renowned for quite long work hours. It's quite intense, you know, particularly for people who are traveling, they can be, you know, away from home quite a lot. But even if you're not, you know, it can be quite long hours. I think something that sticks out for me, given everything you've talked about is, you know, we joked about it, but you run a rugby team. And for anyone listening who's played sports, they'll know what goes into that. But for anyone who hasn't, you know, that's actually quite a lot of work. You know, like you said, turning up at training, games, organizing, you know, it's almost a job outside of a job. I'd love to just find out what is it that makes that so important to you that you've decided to keep it going? Because I'm sure there's some people listening who say, oh, I gave up sport because work got too busy or I, you know, I didn't take up the kids' sports club or whatever it was. Why did you decide while you're growing IMD and continue to, why have you kept that and why is it important to you to you know, have that team, I guess, outside of work? Yeah, I think firstly, I'm very lucky in that I cannot claim any credit for... Uh, anything but coaching. The the the, the committee <laughs> at the club is second to none, and uh, I I just coach. They do everything else. So I think that that helps. But now I, I, I think you know I've committed to the uh, you know it's my fourth season with them. I, I, I've committed to them. You know it's a commitment. I've committed to be there. So I really like the guys I coach. They're they're really good people. And again for me, it's watching people develop and. We had some players that had not played, you know, they were in their 30s, not played since school. We had players that never played rugby before. So I think that's the good bit of coaching. Yeah, it's nice to be at elite level and, you know, spin pass and score loads of tries. But for me, it's, see, yeah, and we like to win, of course we do, but it, it's get, it's developing. So a whole developing and helping people thing, I think is the main thing for, for me. I, I, I've made a commitment. I'm lucky to have a, another coach that, you know, works alongside me. And on the occasion, I can't make it through business, if I'm in London or, or a meeting runs on, then, you know, he, he's always stepped in. But it's the commitment that I've made and, and it's an escape. You know, it, it's an escape from, from from work and I completely shut off. And that's, as we all know, that's so important with with, with sort of mental health. And, uh, you know, I'm doing something that it, it, I, I really enjoy and I'm still learning, you know. Um, I look at podcasts if, um, on various, you know, and, and videos on, you know, various sort of rugby drills on the train, uh, you know, when some, when I some spare time, discuss it with my son, who's a key rugby player, and you know, he he's he's played some good rugby, and you know, he tells me how he gets he gets coached at uni. So, yeah, I, I think it's the loyalty to to the team, the camaraderie, and escape, fresh air, cold fresh air, rainy fresh air, <laughs> uh, on a, on a pitch that's sodden wet and you're muddy. That's what it's all about, Nick. You know. <laughs> I do, Dean, and it's it's in part why it might be a little while till you, you get me out. But I I think that point around escape, you know, for any anyone listening, I think is really powerful. And you know, part of what you've said there as well of the you know you've made that commitment. I think something that you know I know I've suffered from in the past is if I've said to myself, you know, I'll go to the gym or I'll do a run or you know I'll promise to me. It's very easy for you know the project to overrun, the call to overrun, and and suddenly it's whatever time and you can't. Whereas 
if you've got, like you said, you know, 20 or, or seven, but hopefully 20 guys waiting for you, it, you've got that commitment that, you know, you've promised. And actually, I think for anyone listening, that's probably a really good bit of advice is if you're trying to get an escape from work and a, a hobby is almost commit to some people, join a club, it doesn't have to be rugby, it, it could be a different sport or a different activity, but commit to that because you're more likely to do it than if you sort of just promise yourself that you'll read a book in the evening, that's much more likely to fall away. Uh, absolutely, Nick. And I, and I think the other thing as well, you know, I've I, I failed in the past, it, it's make the time. So, you know, I'll make sure that I'll try not to be in London on a Tuesday. Obviously, sometimes you, you can't change it or when we train or, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I've got, at least I know I'm going to finish at five rather than at six and then straight off to training. So, but it's difficult, you know, we all have... And then people have got families to deal with. And, you know, it's tough, but, uh, you know, it's so important to, particularly around the mental health that, that I mentioned earlier, it's very easy to get so ingrained in your work, start missing out on those things, get more stressed. You know, it's just a vicious circle. Then you stop doing things and next thing you know, you're working all the hours and you go, and that's it. So many people have done that. And I think, you know, we, we all have to look out for our, our family, friends and colleagues to, you know, just to just to be a bit careful on the, on that front. Sport is good if you like sport. Well, and and if you don't, there's plenty of other activities. You know, team activities available. You can run a book club. You know, it's the I guess, like you say, it's the commitment. You know, you and I like rugby, and like you say, the you know, running around muddy fields. It's not for everyone, but that that key point. And you know, I've I've shared on this podcast before. You know, I one of the reasons I I left you know, being a consultant was probably that burnout from pushing myself too hard because. In our industry, it's very easy to, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, I'll just move a little faster to the next grade or get a pay rise or promotion. And actually, you realize your life's long and that's not the way to get to where you want. Taking some time out, do something like you say you enjoy, you know, play some sport or you know, whatever else your hobby is, is, is a really powerful point. And the great thing about the era we live in now is that mental health has really come to the fore. And I think, you know, people like yourself championing, it's really powerful, Dean. So really key point. I want to turn to something you touched on quite a way back in our conversation, but it's a key theme for you and your business around that point around helping people learn and develop and, you know, the focus on L&D. And again, you know, I'm thinking for other consulting leaders or consultants listening to this, but maybe we start with the, the sort of consulting entrepreneurs like yourself or partners in, in sort of larger firms is you see it as key to success. But I think in some parts of our industry, there's a a bit of a skepticism about L&D. And, and in part, it's a, well, you know, if I invest in your training, I've spent thousands of pounds and you could just run next door and, you know, I've lost that investment. I'd love to hear, given it's such a core part of your business and something I'm sure you share, you know, you talk to clients about day in, day out. What's your advice for anyone who's, you know, on the fence about whether they should be investing in L&D? What are some of those key benefits that you've seen, your clients have seen, and, and are really what people should be focusing on when thinking about actually where to prioritize that money towards L&D? Yeah, you know, it's understandable, particularly in the in the current climate, that you know people are looking at you know cutting, they've got to to survive really, and and, and cut the budgets around training and, and learning development. But I think our, our our start when you know people automatically think of training as being a, you know a, a week's Prince Two course or you know uh, or, or a course, you know that's one part of training. You know we use the seventy twenty ten model of learning in in the business, so. Your 10% of learning is that accredited or, or learning. 20% is social learning, so mentoring and coaching. And then 70% is on the job training. So, you know, on the job training, that's the way I've always learned better than, than sitting down face to face, listening to somebody. So I think it's it's how you, you, you look at training. And yes, you, you, need, you need time off, but 
you know, there's nothing better than learning from somebody senior. And I think as consulting, that's what you need to focus on. Yes, you can you can teach the methodologies, you can teach best practice, and, and that's important too. And mentoring, having a somebody senior you can go and speak to, you know, how do I deal with this difficult client? You know, knowing a good buddy or a good senior, those sort of things don't cost money. It's just good practice. It's making people feel empowered, making people feel safe in their environment, then they're not in somewhere where they're doing something wrong they can reach out so i think anybody that, that that's thinking about it you know on, on that side is it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge you know financial investment uh, i think is, is 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 the key thing you know i think one thing covid brought is training will will probably get a bit cheaper you know we can it can be done online whether that's digital learning but also you know virtual learning you know on zoom so there's no travel, there's no TNS. But yeah, I, I think, however, I am an advocate of that sort of 10% of learning to get the best practice. You, know, you have to, you know, if you don't give your, your, your team the training and the development, they're going to go. So they're going to go. And that's that. At least explain to them that if, if you haven't got the money, look, the budget's not there this year, but we're going to do some mentoring and coaching with you. You know, just let them know what goes on. But if you don't invest in your, in your staff, they'll go, I've seen it. You know, we've had people come to us for that. We're lucky to have a learning development business in the group. But one of the reasons people let a company is that they let a lie. They're told that they're going to be invested in and, and they're not. So I think that, you know, there are things, that, you know, what people leave as well. Don't, you know, it's not only L&D in isolation, but I think it also breeds happiness. It breeds a, a way of engaging with others. You know, we have internal you know, blogs on, on certain subjects where people can, can ask questions. So... Yeah, and I think, you know, I was uh, I found a quote, I thought, I found the famous Richard Branson one, and uh, I'm going to read it out, Nick, So because uh, I couldn't remember. Go, go for it, Dean. But it's, train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so they don't want to. So I mm. think that's really good. So it's not only about the, uh, about the training, but it's also treating them with that sort of, you know, empowerment. No, there's no point going to a course do the week's course, you know, have a few good beers in the evenings with your course colleagues network. That's really good. Learn prints too or change management. Come back and put it on the shelf. No. When you come back, you need to be speaking to your team leader. What did you learn? How can I improve my client work? You know, and speak to your client and get, you know, it, it's just the right, the right thing to do. And we're all learning. We, we learn every day. So, yeah, that's my, my answer. Do it. And I love the uh, Richard Branson quote, Dean, to your point, you know, that I guess it ties with what you're saying about that servant leadership is you need to create that environment where people want to stay and and actually then you want the best for your business and your clients. And the way to do that is by training them the best. And like that quote says, you you shouldn't be asking about what if they'll leave because of training. There's, there's going to be other reasons that they're likely to leave. It's interesting what you say there, though, and I love the sort of 70-20-10 model because, you know, I'm sure people listening to this were probably going to expect you to say, well, as someone who runs an L&D business, it's 70% formal training and the other way around. But I think what you're saying there is really powerful. And I guess, you know, you mentioned it just at the end there, take whichever one first, you know, for someone who's running a business, be it a partner in a consulting firm, be it someone like yourself leading the business, what should they be thinking about to, to create those opportunities for on the job training? But equally, for any consultants listening, you know, any of those sort of people who are making their way up the ladder, you know, they're more junior, Actually, what should they be doing to create those opportunities? Yeah, I, I think if you come back to the uh, you know, to the whole ethos of, of the business, really, you know, ninety percent of our of our business is consulting and advising. 
clients uh, around digital transformation. But the 10% is a very, very important 10%, both with our clients and internally. You know, with our clients, it's doing that change, but but upskilling them so, so they know what to do. And that upskilling may be a bit of formal training, but also the coaching and mentoring. And going back to your question with people that, how do you set up the, you know, what to do? Well, with your client, you know, a lot of clients are, are go speak to the client, but I like, you know, when you've got a, a, a contract with a client that you know and trust, you know, bring in the junior alongside the senior to do, you know, start off doing the, the probably quite simple, you know, writing the reports, finding data, doing the research. That's the way that, that, that we do it. Have them alongside, almost like an, it's like an apprenticeship really, isn't it? You know, having them alongside you, getting them to do tasks, empowering them to do more and more over a period of time until they become in that position that they can, you know, deliver small client assignments on, on you know, on their own or in support of, of you. Does that make sense to answer your, yeah. your sort of question? And I think as an individual, you know, ask for it. You know, there are various elements to, to consulting. Um, if you feel as though as an individual deficient in a certain area, then, then ask. You know, I, I want to learn about marketing. You know, can I have, you know, half a day off fees to go internal to the business and, and look at marketing? You know, I think as long as there's a good reason for it, for a business reason, as an individual, that's what I'd be asking. Can I shadow the sales team? Can I look at what finance do? Can I go and work with a consultant that's a cyber expert to learn a bit about cyber before I decide to go in there? So that's what I would do if I was a consultant. Demand it, Nick. Well, and I think it's a great point, Dean, because I mean, at my old consultancy, you got given training points and you spent them on training courses. That wasn't all that was offered, it's worth saying. But I think a lot of people think of L&D in that way. You know, it's it's your prince too. You know, every consultant's prince too qualified. But actually, the places I learned the most are what you said. You know, it's that on the job, I'm going to go and shadow so-and-so or I'm going to watch them because a lot of what you do and what I, I know people like us do, is it's, it's the stuff you do in the room. It's the thought process. It's the things that you need to see being done. I guess it's a bit like your sports analogy is you could go to a training course to learn how to play rugby, but it's much easier going and standing with someone who's playing, watching a game, you know, taking part. That's the way you learn the sport. And, you know, it's the same works, just a sport with different rules as far as I'm concerned. Correct. And I think that, you know, the, the accredited training should really just be a, so you understand the leading edge techniques, but really just to make you understand that what you're doing is right and, and the right words and, and, and the, you know, it does give you the right buzzwords and, and right things and et cetera. But you, you, you've got to listen to others, so social learning, mentoring, you know, being coached uh, and then do it on the job. That That is the best way and the fastest way to learn. Yeah, I com- completely agree, Dean. One of the last things I was keen to touch on, because again, something that you know you obviously said was the start of your success and still a core part of your business is around that that military leavers and sort of getting them ready for civvy streets. And you know, I've had friends from school who have made that transition. Again, I've I've not been in the military, so this is all secondhand. But I I do understand for some it can be quite a challenge because you know the skill set you're trained in in the military while it has a lot to transfer, is not on CV what's necessarily immediately, obviously, a skill you can use in civilian life. But for someone who's trained you know, countless military leavers, you know, this is a core part of your business, you've seen that success for them. I'd love to hear your advice for those people. You know, For anyone listening to this who maybe is about to leave the military and let's say they're thinking of consulting, you know, what should they be thinking about really to help them set themselves up for that, that next phase of life? I think it's fantastic now that with having quite a few MPs in the in the government that are ex ex services that that, that, that deserve support that the, the guys and girls that you know 
do what they do for us. They're finally getting it. I've seen the, the, the transformation in, in, in veterans uh, and the help for them. There's still a long way to go. It, 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 it's been brilliant and, and they deserve it, you know, absolutely. And I think it's good. I think also UK PLC is suddenly realising at last they're really good. You know, gone are the days when, you know, they think they're Windsor Davis with a stick under their arm and, and, and shouting, no, these, these guys and girls are absolutely savvy. So I think, you know, what I, what I say to, you know, what I reach out and what I always say to them is, country needs you guys. You know, UK PLC needs you. Why do they need you? You're well trained. You turn up on time. You know how to work under pressure. You know, though, and the skills you've got, no matter what branch of the, the services you, you're in, not what trade you are or where you work, those skills are are, are transferable. And I think that's the, the biggest problem you know when when speaking to people in resettlement over the last you know five years since i've been involved in this business but but previously people i've met through work and, and elsewhere it's it's really you know tying up what they're getting away from that military speak and converting it to city street really nick and learning that the words that x that's what you put on your cv things you don't put on your CV, how to use LinkedIn. You know, they get some help from, um, you know, career transition partnership. But the sort of key thing for me really is you need it and want it. And a lot more companies are, are, get that now and, and are reaching out, but a lot more could do it. So I think the continual push for the Armed Service Covenant, yeah. And I think how can those people, you know, get what, what are the things they need, do they need to do? Network, speak to a, a former military colleague that's, resettled before you has gone out speak to them they will tell you how it happened for them they will give you advice they will say go and have a coffee with with nick you're gonna have a coffee with nick and nick tells you about marketing you realize you like marketing nick knows somebody that needs somebody in marketing so you know it's the whole military network is huge and the guys you know like ben you mentioned you know drop of a hat they'll 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 give you advice and, and and help and that armed service family, you know, is whatever trade and background, whatever rank you are, is there for you and use it. And I've seen, you know, brilliant people come through the Learning Development Centre. Equally, I've met brilliant people that have, you know, have got second careers or, or careers in Civvy Street. So please, please use all the advice you can get. Speak to people you know, speak to family and friends. Those are the sort of thing that you know, your skills are transferable. I think, yeah, a great message there, Dean. It's you know, some really powerful points, both in terms of the, you know, that overarching points of you are valuable and also, you know, the practical pieces of actually a lot of it just comes down to the words you use, not the skills you have, the difference in language. I guess thinking of that side of actually that how valuable those skills and those people are, for anyone who is listening, who who is running a consulting firm, you know, what, what should they be thinking about? How can they do more to help our former servicemen and women and help them sort of come into consulting and actually for their own businesses, you know, get the benefit of those people's skills and experience? Well, employ them is obviously the uh, the the major to know. I, I think obviously depending on the size of business, but have open days, invite people to come and, and work alongside you, give them, you know, give them, offer them work experience, go out and present to them, you know, whether it's through the Officers Association or whether it's through the Career Transition Partnership. Talk to them about what you do and, and, and the skill sets you need. Sit down with somebody you know who, you know, who may be working in logistics in the, um, you know, in the armed services and you run a logistics business. Sit down with somebody and say, well, what do you do? This is what we do. Ah, and you'll realise that they match. 
there are some people that are, are more ready than others. You know, some people have have been so used to to, to being looked after in the in, in in the you know within the armed services, they find the transition quite difficult. But there's a lot of help around to you know to to, to help them. And I reach out to those people and say, please, please, you know, speak to colleagues. That's the main thing. So give them an opportunity. Everybody I've met, it's amazing. I know. Let's think of one example. I we had a one guy on our one of our training course, three weeks course. Really, it's a mini MBA, and uh, you know, uh, I sat and talked to him about Civvy Street, and he was clearly, uh, you know, clearly in the army. Raw signals. He was a warrant officer. He came back a, a year later uh, and did a presentation to to people that were going through the same course within within our management centre, and he stood up there, and off he went. He was talking about BD and all these terms in Civvy Street, and all the guys were looking at him, going, "What's BD mean?" It was just. The transformation was just, you know, so there are a lot of great people out there. There are, there are people that are setting up their own businesses. There are people like Ben Chappell that are setting up by themselves. You know, you've got a lot, a lot there, you know, mm. and there's a, a lot there for you to give. And, and I do feel that UK PLC is getting better, but it could improve. So give the guys and girls the opportunity, explain to them what you do and, and help them. You know, you know, some of them do need help, help out. Um, but, Office Association has said really good. Career Transition Partnership. There are others as well where, where we can help. If they're local to you, go and speak to the you know the local the local regiment. Get involved. Speak to other people that other companies that have taken on service personnel on. Those are things that I that I recommend. I think yeah, some some great advice and yeah, like that example shows Dean. A lot of it is giving people the opportunity and you know, yes, you, some companies may not be of the size or you know the scale to do it, but if you are actually that training and a little bit of effort, I guess the same as you were saying, you know, with, with junior members of the team, just that bit of effort goes a long way and you, you reap a lot of rewards from it and obviously do, you know, help out people who, who do need it in making that transition. So, you know, I think some great advice there. A last one, and this is sort of for a friend of a friend, should we say, it's not for myself. I guess I'd frame it for anyone who's listening, who maybe they have kids who, you know, I know sort of your son's gone to university, but others may have decided to go into the forces at that age. Is there actually anything that we've talked about, you know, people coming out of the forces and how they transition at that stage? But for anyone who's thinking of entering the forces, or maybe anyone who's listening, who sort of might be listening now, who's sort of in the in the forces, you know, still serving, still in the thick of it, what can they be doing earlier in their career to help them prepare for Civvy Street? Are there any things that you tell or the the sort of the people coming through your course say, I wish I'd done that when I was 21, 22. What should those sort of young servicemen and women be thinking to make that transition as easy as possible when the time comes? Yeah, I think, you know, the problem at a young age, you know, you're not really clear what your your future is. And, you know, people may, may join up as a, as a soldier, an aircraftman, and not really, and, you know, not what they want to do. But I think before you go in, think about joining one of the trades, you know, whether it's the, the sort of Royal Signals or Royal Engineers, or if you do want to, you know, go in the infantry, then think about what career path that could give you afterwards. Because I would recommend, from my experience, you know, I've never served, but all the people I've known, you know, hundreds or thousands over the last, you know, 30 years, it's a great, great, great career. And one I would really advocate. So I think before going in, think about how can the armed services help me? What what roles could I do? So I think that, the, and then while serving, they train you. So, you know, get the qualifications that, that, that will help you get a job, you know, on, on the other side. The Army often sponsors degrees whilst you're serving. They're brilliant at it now, the Army and, and Navy and the Air Force, of course, too. 
you know, take on those leadership roles where you can. That's so vital. You know, networking, you're going to be, you know, really, really good at. And then during your career, I think try and work in some of those roles, you know, whether it's IT, whether it's medicine, whether it's business analysis, whether it's strategy, whether it's HR, try and get, you can transfer between, you know, different departments and, and different regiments, try and get some of those roles that are, are used in, in, in CB Street. And I think one that most people forget is write a career history as you go along and, and write down those things that you've done that are applicable to Civic Street. But I think it's very difficult, you know, with a, with a youngster that, you know, probably doesn't know, like like all of us really, that, you know, when we when we leave at 16 or whatever, we leave at the university, what we really want to do. But I do honestly believe that the armed services are getting better and they need to be. They need to be saying to people, you know, come and join us. And I think the adverts on TV, you see, are, are sort of pointing to that. You know, there's the excitement about travelling and, and the physical side of it and camaraderie. But, yeah, I think both the armed services and the police could can do a little bit more about mapping you know, to a, a career job. I think that would help. And, you know, fire service and, and ambulance service, etc. That's your question, Nick? Yeah, I, th- I think it does, Dean. And I think some really powerful things there. And, you know, for anyone who is thinking of going, and I'm, I'm sure that will help, Dean, definitely. Yeah, I think one of the key things, well, I, I sort of missed off, it, it really frustrates me, is, you know, oh, we can't take a, you know, he could go to public services as, as, as well as, you know, armed, armed services is, Oh, well, your public service, you, know, I'm sorry, you don't understand commercials. Rubbish, you know, we all go to the shop and buy stuff. We all watch the news. So, you know, don't let that let anybody put you off joining a, a company. And I think, you know, there are some roles in the military that perhaps you don't liaise with, with, with industry or, you know, civilian life as much. But you do, you know, you, and I think it's it, it's good to keep a, a track and, and push for roles where you do, um, you know, work with uh, work with industry and work alongside them and watch what they what they do. Equally, there's a great armed service career that you can completely do until you uh, until you retire. So that's the other, other option, of course. Dean, I'm conscious that we're sort of eating into you know Monday evening, and you've got you know a house full of family and things that I'm sure you need to attend to. I also don't want to keep you too late on the first day of the week. There's two last questions, and these are ones I like to ask all of my guests. And I know you've listened to a couple of couple of other episodes. So I'm sure you'll know what's coming. The first one is one about books. And you mentioned, you know, you you listen to a lot of podcasts, you've read a lot of, you know, books on, say, servant leadership. And it's also worth saying, Dean, I say books, but it could be podcasts or videos as well. And I'd, I'd love to know what is the book or, or books that you find yourself you know, recommending or giving away most often to people and, and why? I don't enjoy a lot of business books. I buy them because they're, they're hype. And I read the first page, few pages and think this is just rubbish. So um, that's my view. Uh, on a lot of business books, but some are good, some aren't as good. I learn from experience. I get my, most of my personal views on the world, my, my business views from, from biographies or autobiographies. You know, everybody's got a different story to tell. That's what I find interesting. So, you know, for me, it, it's reading, it's listening to podcasts on people, what they've done, how they've done it. That's what I find interesting because. And equally talking to people, you know, and it's probably one of my relationship building things that just happens. But, you know, when I first met you, Nick, learning about your background, why you start your business and you get little bits of information in there that you think, yes. Yeah. So uh, I would say any autobiography or any biography, because you're learning about about people. It's not waffle. The, uh, the latest business book is 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 my view. 
I love that, Dean. And I'm going to ask just because, you know, I'm sure you've read a lot. Are there any, you know, take it the last year, however long, or any any biographies or autobiographies that stick out for you? Any that you'd say, if you're going to start with one, this is this is the one you should read? I think it's, um, you know, mine, mine are a lot of, of sports. I do like reading uh, lots of sport ones. So if you're not sporty minded, then, you know, sorry, and, and particularly rugby players. <laughs> so, you know, Martin Johnson, etc. cetera. Uh, I like politics. So a lot of people aren't fans, but I learned a lot from, from you know, Margaret Thatcher's biography and autobiography. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll read Keir Starmer's and, and Jeremy Corbyn's. I think, you know, everybody's got a good story to tell. And there are things in there that you think, and it's life. You know, that's the difference. It's not a theory that might become, and it might be a good theory. It's life experience. And I think that's where you need to learn from. Fantastic, Dean. Well, and, you know, it's part of the reason we're, we're here tonight for this this podcast is I'm a big believer like you that actually you learn a lot from people's stories and people who are just slightly ahead on of you on the journey, whatever that journey is, be it, you know, business, be it sport, be it, you know, sort of personal life is there's always something you can learn from everyone. And and actually that having done it is a really powerful thing. So no, completely get that. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's what we're doing here, albeit it's not written down. And then the very last question, and, and this again, maybe it is, you know, sort of distilling some of that, that advice or insights, you know, particularly from your own journey is, you have three people in front of you and you can give one piece of advice to each. The, the first person is someone who's a, a graduate. So you know, maybe one of the graduates just starting at IMD. The, the second person is someone who's in, I say, the middle grades in consulting. So, you know, they're far enough into their career that they've got options, but they're not senior enough that they're sort of at the board table, if you like. And then the third person is someone who, you know, in, in that context is approaching the board. You know, they're approaching partnership, they're approaching a director or a board director position, you know, that's the next level for them. And as I say, that the question is really what one piece of advice would you give to each of them? No, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, Nick. I think it's probably more than one piece of advice knowing me. I'm, I'm sorry about that, but, that's but fine. I'm not going to apologise. So I, I think with the starter, it's make sure you go into a company that's good, if you can, a company that's going to develop you, I think is the first thing. So just that's one of the questions to ask. What's the development for me? Because at that age, you, you do need to develop. Equally, you do not want to uh, set yourself down one you know, very narrow experience band. Look at all, all different things. I, I would say be patient. You know, you're not going to be uh, a millionaire next week. It, it ain't going to come quickly. Uh, it does to some, it does to others. I think also, you know, other people's career will race ahead and then yours goes ahead. And, and, you know, that's the whole thing about it. Watch, listen, learn from others, network like mad offer to take on responsibility and i think the final one is be empathetic because empathy is a good a good trait to have so that's the uh, sorry it wasn't one nick no no dean it's the more the better uh, i think that's for for somebody starting out i think somebody four or five years in you know my question to them would be are you happy are you happy with what your current company is offering you are you happy with your career are you learning if not move move if the company's not willing to look after you you know, move, go for it. You know, it, it's, you, you know, organisations need to look after their staff. And if they don't, then people will move. So that's my view with those. And I think with a partner, it's similar, really. You know, you, you've taken all this time, you, you've had a great career, but are you enjoying it at partner level? You know, is it what you expected? What's next? You know, what's next after partner? Do you really want to sit back and, you know, churn the handle and just keep going? Okay, get paid well and you, you deserve to be there because you're brilliant, but 
you still got the hunger and want to do something else, go and do it. Go and do something else. You know, career's too short, life's too short. Just go and do it. Okay, you know, you might earn a bit less, but come on, life is a learning journey. So keep learning, as I've said all the way, all the way throughout it. Well, Dean, I, I think that is a brilliant point for us to close on. So thank you very much for tonight. The only last thing to ask is for anyone who's who's listened to this, who you know wants to find out more about yourself or wants to find out more about IMD Group, where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, obviously, you know, find me uh, on, on LinkedIn, Dean Taylor, IMD Group. The website, www.imd-group.co.uk. And those are the best ones. And then, you know, you'll make contact with me on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll send you my, my email address. And uh, I'm a busy guy, but I, I do try and speak to everybody I can. And I'm very, very happy to, to give advice because it's all about helping others. That's why we're here. Fantastic, Dean. Well, I'll put in the show notes links to your website and LinkedIn so people can follow up with those. And yes, thank you. And I'm sure anyone who, who's listening who, who wants to will get in touch and you know, I'm sure you'll be able to share a lot with them. So thank you very much for today. I've really enjoyed finding out bits about the journey that I didn't know. As I say, shame we, we couldn't do it face to face given you know, only a few kilometers away, but we will do that. You know, as soon as this lifts, Dean, we'll be at one of the you know, your village pub or mine and we'll, uh, we'll be catching up properly. But as I say, Dean, thank you very much for today and, and enjoy the rest of your week. Oh, thank you, Nick. It's, it's, it's been great and, and lovely to speak to you. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that beer together. Fantastic, Dean. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk. And I really look forward to hearing from you.